Good afternoon. Today is Tuesday. We are getting ready to begin our lunch and learn. Apologize for the delay, the technical issue. I believe that's corrected now. And we are ready to begin. Just give two minutes for everyone to log on. Seems like I was on private, not on public. So no one was able to see me. Now we're here. We're ready to begin as we usually do our weekly lunch and learn on Tuesdays at 12.15. Yes, here we are. Hi Jody. Hi Roy. Seems like I, was on, I wasn't on. Uh, I was public. I was private. Nice to see you. To see your names, see your pictures. And we're here ready to study Torah together. As we usually do on Tuesday afternoons. Today's topic is staying positive. How even in such a situation we are able, we have the tools, the Torah gives us the proper perspective, how to look at everything that's going on around us, especially now coming on to Pesach, Passover, when it's a time when usually we're spending with family and friends. Here we're going to be alone, but we're not going to be lonely. We're going to have a good and happy, positive perspective on everything that's going on. So you should have received an email with the source sheet. You can download, print it out, or there shall there should be a link somewhere here. Excuse me, where you can follow along with it with a, a link to the source sheet. We can follow along. <clears throat> Some of the ideas mentioned that we'll talk about today we may have mentioned in the past, but it's good to revisit and take to heart what we will study. And we are just about ready to begin. We'll begin with a story. <clears throat> Down in Florida, a group of elderly senior citizens are getting together for some coffee. One elderly woman sipping her cup of coffee and she says I'm so old I'm so weak I can barely lift this cup of coffee another woman comments my eyes are so bad the cataracts I can barely see this cup of coffee another woman says my arthritis is so bad it's terrible I can barely turn my neck hi Igor And they're all nodding, they're all agreeing with each other. And one of them says, this is the price we got to pay for old age. And they're all thinking about this. Not too very happy about their situation. And the room goes silent. After a moment, one woman cheerfully says, well, it's really not all that bad. At least we can still drive. So in every situation... We have to find something positive. Today's topic is staying positive. Finding the positive in the current situation, especially we're coming on to the holiday of Pesach. How we can find some positivity in this situation. So once again, hi Michael. Once again, if you did not receive the email with the source sheet, you can. there's a link here you can download to follow along. Hi, Michael and Maureen. Hi, everybody that's joining. This is our fourth virtual Lunch and Learn. 
since we started the lunch and learn, the weekly lunch and learn, this is number 85. But in the past couple of weeks, we've been continuing to study from our homes using the Facebook Live. This is our fourth Facebook Live for lunch and learn. And we're excited to study Torah together, even as we're getting ready for, for Pesach, for Passover. Reminds me of a story, some guy, um, Jewish guy, it's you know, a couple of days before Pesach, and to make sure I get this right, it's a couple of days before Pesach, and his wife tells him, okay, Sam, you're going to help me here, move the furniture, I prepare the kitchen for Passover, and schlep things from here, and bring it over here, and clean, and scrub. He calls, he has to call his boss, the husband, and he says, my wife says I got to be home, I need to help her. I have to clean for Passover. So his boss says, Sam, we're shorthanded. We don't have enough people. You have to come in. There's no, there's no day off. You got to come in. And he turns to his boss. He says, thank you, boss. I knew I can count on you. So even now, when we're getting ready for Pesach, it's busy. Cleaning the house, getting cooking in the kitchen, getting ready for our Passover Seder. Nonetheless, we take our time off a bit to study Torah, to be inspired, to be energized, to have the proper perspective. So we will begin with source number one on our source sheet. This class is divided into three sections. Section number one is topic of good eye. <clears throat> source number one. There are two opposite inclinations and temperaments among human beings. Optimism and pessimism. A positive perspective casts everything in the most favorable terms, whereas a negative outlook casts everything in the least favorable terms. Whether due to nature, nurture, or both, we are each more inclined to either, pe to either pe uh, optimism or pessimism. The source number one is telling us the facts. The facts are that we live in a world where among human beings there are two opposite perspectives, two op opposite ways of looking at things. Looking at people, looking at occurrences, looking at things. Optimism, looking at things in the most favorable term. And pessimism. And each of us, the way we are born, whether naturally we're just inclined to one of these perspectives, or nurture, maybe our, we, we saw that by our parents, from our teachers, from our friends, we were influenced, or maybe a bit of both. But the fact is that every human being is either more inclined to be optimistic or pessimistic. That's the fact. The question is, what is the correct way? And we turn to the Torah. The Torah is not just a book of do this and do that, or don't do this, don't do that. The book of Torah Torah comes from the word teaching, lesson. Torah is a guide. Torah is our compass for life and in all areas of life. We turn to the Torah. What is the correct perspective? What is the correct temperament? What is the correct way of looking at things? In an optimistic way? Or maybe we should always be pessimistic and say, you know, we got to be careful. we got to look at it in, the, in a negative light and make sure, you know, not... Not to rear, you know, go away from the truth. 
So that's source number one. We take a look at source number two. What does the Torah say is the correct perspective? An optimistic look or a pessimistic look? So in source two, we have a quote from Pirkei Avos, Ethics of Our Fathers. It's a tractate of the Mishnah, where a teacher, Rabbi Yochanan, the son of Zakkai, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, great leader of the Jewish people, during the end of the Second Temple era, about 2,000 years ago, a bit less than 2,000 years ago, and he has many students. And he asks his students, source two, go and see which is the best trait for a person to acquire. The best traits, the best trait out of all traits a person can have. Character traits. What is the best one? What is the most important one? What is the most necessary to acquire? Said Rabbi Eliezer, a good eye. The trait that is most important to acquire is the trait of having a good eye. What does it mean a good eye? You're born with your eyes. So you have good eyes, nice eyes, beautiful eyes. Is that the trait that a person should acquire? What does it mean to have a good eye? A nice looking eye? Tells us the commentaries. There are various ways of explaining this, but here's one way. One interpretation of the word a good eye. When your eye, your lens on life, our eyes are the primary organ through which we communicate with the world around us. We have different senses, but eyes, we're able to see. That is the primary way we communicate. So eyes is not the way our eyes look. The eye refers to how we perceive things, how we look at things, what's our perspective. How we look at the things we come in contact with or the things we hear about. Our eyes is our lens on life through which we view everything around us. So when your eye, your lens on life is good, you have a good eye, your lens, the way you look through life, look at life is good, what you see will be good no matter what. You will tend to find positive interpretations of events and experiences as well as judge others in the most favorable light. Every human being possesses this capacity for redemptive vision, but achieving and maintaining it requires efforts. Hi, Ira and Nina. We're here on the source sheet. We just finished source number two. So having a good eye, the most important trait that Rabbi Eliezer suggests to his teacher, having a good eye means that our lens on life, the way we perceive, the way we look at things is with goodness, is with positivity. And we have the ability. Every human being possesses this capacity because if this is what the Torah demands of us, then we have this capacity. We have the ability. We have the tools. Achieving and maintaining a positive outlook, a positive attitude on life, on people, on occurrences, on things that happen, experiences and events, to, to maintain such a positive outlook, that requires effort. But that's part of life. We've got to work hard. Not saying that it's easy, but it's, a, it's, it's in, in our capacity. We have the tools, we have the ability to have a good eye to use our good eye, to exercise it, and our lens on life, the way we look at everything, should be with positivity.
seeing things in the most favorable terms, finding something positive in every aspect of life. Now one might say, well, maybe I'm born this way, it's just too hard for me. Maybe I don't have the ability. Tells us Maimonides, source number three. Maimonides is referring to somebody who finds in himself bad character traits. He's very stingy. Some people, it's very hard for them. Or they steal easily. It's, they have very strong temptation to steal or to do other, you know, they, they, they feel very proud about themselves, very haughty. That's maybe naturally uh, comes to them or... It's hard. One might say that it's just too difficult for them. It's not. They're not able to correct this trait. Says my Monday source three. If he finds that his nature, of course, or her nature, leans towards one of the extremes, you know, person, uh, let's say, is very stingy. You know, it's okay to have some money for yourself to keep some money for yourself. So you got to have a balance, you know, we give charity and the rest is, for, is to support ourselves and our family. But if somebody is very uh, stingy to the extreme, not keeping, you know, not giving anything away, or same thing with being uh, boastful, I mean, we don't have to boast, but we have to, we don't have to be like a rug, we shouldn't be trampled upon, we should stand firm with certain things. So if somebody finds that his nature leans towards one of the extremes or adapts itself easily to it, whether naturally or he adapts it easily to it, or if he has learned one of the extremes and acts accordingly, this is something that he was influenced, he picked it up, he learned such an extreme and that's the way he acts, he should bring himself back to what is proper and walk in the path of the good men. It is never too hard for somebody. He has the ability or she has the ability to bring himself back to the proper path. So although a pessimistic attitude may seem so deeply rooted as to be permanent, it is in fact escapable by learning a new set of cognitive skills. Something has to change in our minds. We need to change. Hi Jill, hi everybody that joined. We need to change the something. We need to learn skills. We need to have the proper skills and tap into the tools that we have inside of us to be able to see everything around us, people and events, in a positive light. So, number one, we saw the fact is there are two such temperaments, optimism, pessimism. Some, source 2 told us that the correct way is to be optimistic, to have a positive outlook. And number 3 told us that not just that it's the correct way, but it's the possible way. It's something which is in our reach. We're able to tap into the tools, to the... Uh, abilities that Hashem gave us and practice those tools, practice those skills until we become skilled, we become skilled with a good eye and able to exercise this attitude. Let's take a look at an example from the Torah. I'll just give you two practical exam uh, scenarios here. So say a teacher calls up the parent Parents and says, your child is extremely disturbing in class, makes a lot of noise, and is restless, and just disturbing the whole class. So the parent can respond in two ways, either saying, gosh, what kind of kid do I have? Why can't this kid be calm and just be good, on good behavior like the other kids or, or my other kids? Something's wrong with him. Am I not a good parent? 
there's something wrong with this kid, maybe take him to the doctor, maybe need some pills. Or the response can be, hey, maybe my kid is very smart and understands immediately what the teacher is saying and is getting bored. Maybe the kid has lots of energy, is very motivated. Maybe I can utilize this as, for, as leadership's, um, leadership skills that he, he is motivated to, to do and to, ah, he's always looking for something, he's, he's curious, he's looking to learn. Right? And how do I channel this in the right direction? Not that there's something wrong with it, not that there's something wrong with the parent. There's something good here. We just have to use it properly, channel it properly. And the same could go in every situation. We can look at it from two different perspectives. And the Torah is telling us that the proper perspective is a positive perspective. Now, that's not easy. We tend to find faults in every situation and look at the negative aspect of it. But the Torah is teaching us that the kind of eyes that we should have is good eyes. We should have a good eye. Our lens on life, we should work on having good eyes, looking at things with a pair of eyes that are, think, think of it as, you know, if you have sunglasses, so everything you see with your glasses is going to be dark because what you're wearing, the eyes, your, your glasses are tinted, so everything is going to have a dark look to it. Even if you look at something light and bright, it's going to have a dark into it because your eyes, which you see everything, is dark. Or if you have blue or green uh, lenses, everything's going to be blue or green. So if your lenses are uh, negative, then everything we're going to see is we're going to find negativity in every situation. But if the glasses we're wearing are clear, positive glasses, and everything we look at, we're just going to find and the, the, the goodness, the positivity in every situation. Now, obviously, there are things that are not so good, but we're going to look at it from a good perspective, in the most favorable terms. I mean, you can't change the situation, but we'll find the, the positive aspect to every situation, and perhaps dwell on that as much as possible. So even if you're wearing good glasses, it doesn't mean that you'll be able to see everything. You know, if you're wearing sunglasses, there are certain things that are still bright, but you're seeing them with a tinted perspective. And the same thing, wearing a pair of glasses, wearing a figurative pair of glasses, a good pair of glasses, good eyes, then we'll see things in the most favorable way we can. It is possible to be seen. That is an exercise the Torah demands of us, and let's see some more how it can be done. Source number four, let's take a look at an example of our history. The Jewish people are in the desert. For, after leaving Egypt, we're celebrating Passover soon. The Jews left Egypt. They spent 40 years wandering in the desert. At the beginning of those 40 years, actually they were intend, intended to go straight into the land of Israel. But as a result of a story, they ended up 40 years in the desert. What happened is, the Jewish people are ready to enter the land of Israel, and Moshe, Moses appoints one representative of each of the 12 tribes, and is getting ready to send them to the land of Israel to spy, to scout the land, and see what is the, excuse me, most practical way of conquering this land, the easiest way, where to enter, how to go about, see what the situation is in the land of Israel before coming in and taking over the land. One representative of each tribe. The tribes go, they spend 40 days in the land of Israel, 
10 of them returned back with a negative report. Two of them come back with a positive report. Unfortunately, the Jewish people went after the majority, after the 10, they're called the 10 the spies, the 20, uh, scouts, and said, hey, how can God bring us into the land of Israel? We're going to die, and so on. Things are terrible. And as a result, they ended up 40 years, 40 years from responding to the 40 days that the spies spent in the land of Israel. But here, let's look at the verses that describe the 12 spies, the two kind, the two groups of the 12 spies that returned. Source 4. The Torah tells us in the book of Numbers, they returned from scouting the land at the end of 40 days. They went and they came to Moses and Aaron who, and brought them back a report. The people who inhabit the land are mighty, said the ten spies, and the cities are extremely huge and fortified. We are unable to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. How can you send us? How can we let the Jewish people come into the land of Israel? They are much stronger than us. The cities are huge and fortified. We'll never be able to win them. We are unable to go up against them. That was the report of the ten spies. They saw negativity. They saw hopelessness. The other two spies, source five, Yehoshua and Kalev. Yehoshua, Joshua, was eventually the successor of Moses and Kalev from the tribe of Judah who actually was a brother-in-law of Moses. Kalev married Moses' sister, Miriam. So Yeshua and Kalev, who were among those who had scouted the land, tore their clothes when they heard the words of the ten spies. They started to mourn and saying, they spoke to the entire congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we passed through to scout is an exceedingly good land. We can surely go up and take possession of it, for we can indeed overcome it. They came, back, they came back with a good report. So what's happening here? Twelve spies, they, didn't, they were all together. Twelve spies, they came to the same land. They, both, they all came to the land of Israel. They all went touring together. Yet ten of them came back with a negative report. And two of them came back with a positive report. What is the difference? It's not like some of them went to this place, this city, and some of them went to this city. Yeshua and Kalev only saw the, the, weak, the weak cities and they saw the mighty cities. They all saw the same cities. They came together. They didn't divide up. They didn't, they didn't uh, part ways. And yet, 10 came back with a, positive, with a negative report and 2 with a positive report. What is the difference? So here, let me tell you a little story and we'll, under, we'll take a look at the Talmud that tells us the difference. Hi Ed, hi Nona, hi Mark, everybody that joined. If you want to follow along with the source sheet, there should be a link here where you can download or print out to follow along. Famous story, maybe a parable, which brings out the point here. So, there was one man who had never studied the Talmud before. Talmud is the Gemara, where source of uh, Jewish law. Discussions of the, of the sages living about 1,600-1,700 years ago. Very complex, very deep, very detailed. So a man shows up to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, I never studied Talmud before. I want to study Talmud. 
the rabbi says, you know, he knew this man, this is not for you. Talmud, it's just, it's just too, too hard, it's too complicated, it's just not for you. Man says, let me try, let me try. Get, tell me a piece of the Talmud. Tell me a passage in the Talmud and let me see. So the man says, okay. The rabbi says to the man, here's a case, in the, let, let me give you an example. There's a chimney. Two people come down a chimney. One person comes out, his face is clean. One person comes out, his face is dirty. Which of the two men go to wash up? Man says, that's not too hard. Very simple. The man whose face is clean, he's clean. What does he have to wash up? The man whose face is dirty, his face is dirty. Why does he have to go? So he goes to wash up? Very simple. And the rabbi says, you see, I told you Talmud's not for you. The man whose face is clean, he doesn't see his face. He sees the other person, his face is dirty. So he thinks if his face is dirty, if the other person's face is dirty, then my face must be dirty. So even though his face is really clean, he thinks it must be dirty and goes to wash his face. The man whose face is dirty, he looks at the other guy, the other guy's face is clean, so probably my face is clean, so he doesn't wash his face. The guy says, aha, okay, I hear it. I'm starting to get the Talmud. Give me another try. Okay. The rabbi says, two people come down a chimney, one of them comes out, his face is clean, one of them, his face is dirty, which of them goes to wash up? So the man says, the one with the, with the clean face washes up because he sees his friend is dirty, he thinks he's dirty. The rabbi says, no, there was a mirror right over there. So the clean, the man with the clean face looked in the mirror, he saw his face is clean, he didn't go to wash up. The man whose face is dirty looked in the mirror and his face was dirty, so he went to wash up. Give me one more try, the man says. Okay. Two people come down a chimney. One person, his face is clean. One person, his face is dirty. Which of them goes to wash up? Says the man, aha. It depends if there's a mirror. If there's a mirror, then the one who has a dirty face washes up. If there's no mirror, the one with the clean face goes to wash up because he sees his friend is dirty and he thinks he's dirty. Says the rabbi, again you got it wrong. If two people come down the same chimney, how does one, it's the same dirty chimney or the same clean chimney, how does one come out and his face is clean and, his one, and the other one comes out and his face is dirty? This is, the, this is the parable. But perhaps we can say today that it is possible for two people to come down the same chimney and one of them will come out with a clean face, one of them will come out with a dirty face with clean eyes or dirty eyes, with good eyes or clean eyes, with a positive outlook or a negative outlook. How? It depends how they went in. If one of them went in with a clean face, then he'll come out with a clean face. And one came out with a dirty, went in with their dirty face, he came out with a dirty face. So it's possible for the same two people to go through the chimney. One comes out clean, one comes out dirty. You know why? Because that's the way they went in. They went through the, th the same chimney. Why do they see, why do they, why do they come out different? Because they went in different. Yes, the chimney was clean. Why did he come out dirty? Because he went into the chimney dirty. Why, or it was dirty. Why did he come out clean? Because he came, he came in with clean. How does one, how do 10, excuse me, how do 10, 12 spies all go to the same land of Israel? 10 of them come back with an evil report, a negative report. Two of them come back with a positive report. You know why? Tells us the Talmud in source 6, what is meant by they went? 
If you take a look at source 4, it says, they returned from scouting the land, they went and they came to Moses and Aaron. Now usually the term went, in Hebrew, vayelchu, refers to departure, going away, leaving. When they left, it should have said, they left and then they returned. What does it say? They returned, they went and they came to Moses. They, they already went, they, they're on their way back now. So it says the Talmud is inserting, the Torah inserts the words they went right over here to compare their going with their coming. Just as their return was with evil intent, so was their departure on the journey with evil intent. They came back, ten of them came back with a, with a negative report. But they went and they came to they they went and they came. They came is because they went in the same way. They returned. They came back. They returned with a negative report because they went with with a negative attitude. The eyes they were wearing even before the situation happened. It's not the situation which is evil. It's not the situation was a neg negative. It's their eyes. Even before they got to the land of Israel, they were wearing a pessimistic pair of glasses. They were wearing a negative glass, a tinted glasses. So what they saw was negative. They came into the chimney with a dirty face. They had, they did not have a good eye. They did not possess the trait of a good eye. They had negative eyes. And everything they saw, they saw with a tint of darkness, with a tint of negativity. Oh, this is too hard. This is too challenging. This is terrible. We're never going to make it. We're never going to conquer the people in Israel. The two other spies, Yoshua and Kalev, you know why they came back with a good report? Because when they went, they went with a good set of eyes. They went with positivity. They went with trust in God. God took us out of Egypt. He's, he told us He's going to lead us to Israel. He will help us. It's not so bad. They're not so strong. We're going to manage this. Why did they return with their respective reports? Because that's how they went. And that's why the Torah inserted, they went and they came. You want to know why they came back that way? It's because that's the way they went. When we go somewhere, when we go places, we interact with people, we, things happen, we go to events and we hear of occurrences. Things happen. It depends how we are perceiving them. What do we go with? Are we coming with positivity or are we coming with negativity? If we're coming with a positive pair of glasses, if our outlook on life, on life is with a good set of eyes, then we will find the positive spin, we will find the positive aspect, we will look at things in the most favorable terms. Whereas if we have a set of bad eyes, then we will focus in on the negative. We will see things in a negative light. We have the choice and we are instructed by the Torah to have a positive outlook. A woman, a respected woman, respectable woman, every morning she would go out, she would go out, uh, she would go to her, in her kitchen and look at the neighbor's, her neighbor's porch through her window and she sees, she would see the laundry hanging over there, her neighbor's laundry and she thought, to, she, she sees the dirty laundry hanging there, she said, this just came out of the wash and it's still dirty, look at everything, look at the way the clothes the, the children are wearing, Everything is filthy. What kind of uh, housewife? What's going on in that home? She always thought this in her head, looking at her neighbor very negatively. She can't get things together. Everything is dirty. And one day she has a neighbor over and she brings her neighbor to the window. She says, look at my neighbor. Look at the clothes. It's hanging there to dry, but look how dirty it is. Look at those streaks of black 
and dirt on the clothes. Says the neighbor, actually, those clothes are perfectly clean. It's your window that has the black streaks. The dirt is on you and your glasses. Everything on the outside is fine. But your glasses, your lenses are filthy. We have to learn how to clean our eyes, to have a positive look and perspective on things that happen. Or at least the most positive it can be, to find the positive spark. And people, you know, there's a saying, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. We have control over our attitude. We have control over our perspective. We want things to change. We can't always change them, but we can change the way we look at them. We can look at a child who is having difficulty in school, that they're, misbehave, they're misbehaving, they're a failure, there's something wrong with them. Or we can look at this child has lots of motivation, lots of energy, is very curious. How can we channel that? How can we bring out the best in him and make him most successful? Same goes for every situation. Section number two, we will take a look. Hi, Howie. Hi, uh, Oded. Hi, Ed. Everyone that joined, if you'd like to follow along, there's a link here. You can follow along on our source sheet. The next section takes us to a teaching of the Rebbe. A couple of days ago on Sunday was the 11th day of Nisan. It's the birthday of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Schneerson, our teacher. And we will, you know, the Rebbe really had a good eye. The Rebbe was very positive in looking at things and taught us how to have a good eye. So the next section is talking about how we should look at another human being, another Jewish person with positivity. Takes us to a law, a din, a halacha. Source number seven from the Talmud, from Maimonides. If a Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin is the high court, the Jewish high court, like the, the highest, the supreme Beth Din that was in Jerusalem in times of the temple. So if a Sanhedrin opens a capital case with a unanimous guilty verdict, there were certain laws in the Torah in times of the temple when the Beth Din ruled the land of Israel following Torah law in certain extreme cases, there was a possibility for a person to be put to death, unfortunately. So, there was uh, 120 judges, 121 judges, I believe. If a Sanhedrin opens a capital case with a unanimous guilty verdict, everybody says, yes, this person is guilty. There's no room, there's not one merit, there's nothing we can find, no reason to say that he is exempt, that, that he that he is um So, sorry, you're right here. So the, the, the defendant, is ex he is exempt. Until some merit is found to acquit him, then if those who convict will be in the majority, he will be put to death. Which, by the way, it says a uh, bestin that killed once in seven years was considered a murderous bestin. So, it, you know, it didn't happen very often. But you know, let's say the case is somebody uh, murdered somebody else. Just for our case here. So if somebody murders somebody, they get executed themselves, according to Torah law, obviously with lots of details, lots of um, <clears throat> conditions. So it's a capital case. Imagine, you know, the defendant is brought here, 
people are saying. We have maybe even uh, te- you know people giving testimony, witnesses, and everybody in the high court, all of the judges, all of the 120 judges, the entire Sanhedrin say yes, this man is guilty for the act, and nobody has any reason to say, well, maybe there's reason to be lenient here, maybe some sort of merit for the case that he should be let off. Even as a, not as a judgment, but even as a, um, something to, to discuss, something to analyze, something to bring up. Nobody has anything good to say about the man. Everybody agrees. What is the halacha? What is the law? He is exempt. This person is not executed. The judgment is, cannot be carried through with him until they have to wait, not that this person is let off the hook, but he cannot, the punishment cannot be carried out until some merit is found to acquit him. At least a reason, maybe, why we should acquit him. If, as, then when one of the judges comes up with some reason to, that he should be acquitted, then okay, now we, have, now we have something to discuss. If the majority nonetheless convicts him, then the person is executed, punished. But there needs to be some merit something brought up, something positive about the person. And it seems strange because, you know, if anything, if everybody agrees, nobody has something good to say about it, so for sure he deserves the punishment. Why are we waiting? Why do we have to wait for someone to come some say, say something good? Hi, Stan. Why do we have to wait for that? So whatever, you know, this is the law of the Torah, but the Rebbe, in a talk in, uh, I believe it was 1985, says, here we can see how the Torah looks at a human being, how the Torah looks at a Jewish person, and why this is necessary. Or at least what we can, what we can derive, what we can learn. As we say, the Torah laws are not just laws, but the Torah's laws are teachings, are guidance, how we, how we should look at life. Source number eight. Sorry. Source number eight on our source sheet. Although... The Rebbe says like this, every human being at his core has a neshama as a soul, which is good and pure and wants to do the right thing as a piece of God. The soul is a piece of Hashem, which is, of course, only good. The fact that a person sins, okay, that's evil. But what is the person? The person at his core, whatever he does, even when he does something evil, at his core, he is still good or she is, and she is still good. Source 8, although the innate goodness in some people is thoroughly hidden, nevertheless, because goodness constitutes our very essence, therefore, trace of the person's concealed goodness inevitably must find some expression in every act. So accordingly, there must be a favorable way to view any individual as his truest identity is the goodness that is at his core. If this goodness has not been identified by the members of the Sanhedrin, excuse me, the verdict of that court cannot be applied to this defendant. Hi, Diana. So we just finished reading here Source 8. Here's the, here's the idea. A person is good. A person at his essence is pure, pure and good and really wants to do the right thing. There are negative influences. There are negative reasons. You know, a person does evil sometimes, might, might do something very evil. But in every act, 
It's the entire person, the essence of the person that's doing, the whole person is doing this act. So that core goodness must find expression in that, in every act. Now, if the majority says that the person should be convicted, yes, that's the, that's the Torah law, the person has to be punished. But by finding some merits, by some, one of the judges finding some merit, that means that they are identifying an expression, the expression of the core, the good, ex, the expression of the goodness in this act. Maybe this is why he did it. You know, he, he didn't really mean so bad. He did it, something like that. So if this court, if no one, none of these judges could identify the expression the positivity, the positive aspect, even if we're not going to follow through with that power, we're not, we're not going to base the law, we're not going to base the punishment on that merit. But this Sanhedrin, this court needs to identify, they need to be able to have a good eye, to be able to see the positive as well in this situation, in this person. If they cannot, there must be, there must be an expression of that goodness because the person at his core is good and in every act there is an expression also of that goodness. So if that goodness cannot be identified, then this court is not the right court. A court is not just here to punish. The court must view the person and also be able to see the positivity. Now, it doesn't mean that they have to act upon that positivity. They have to act according to the majority of the, you know, if the act is evil, the act is evil. But they have to be able to also see the expression of the core goodness of the person. Because the person has, at his core is good. That's what the Torah demands from these judges. Not to say there's something wrong with them, but for the time being, until one of the judges comes up or another court will come up with some sort of merit, will identify the goodness, the positivity, then once that merit is brought up, then they can proceed with the judgment. Source 9. This is something the Rebbe taught us. This is how we view people. And when it comes to Jewish people, <clears throat> source 9, a Jew is never severed from his or her Jewishness, even when it seems to be so. If we look with the proper perspective, we will in fact notice expressions of the Jewish core. Accordingly, there is no such thing as a distant Jew or secular Jew. A definition should reflect who he or she really is. If it, if, even, if a, even a person who has sinned, even serious sins, Still, that's just a sin. It's a big problem, but it's not who we are. There's so much more to a Jew than his sin. So the Rebbe <clears throat> taught us how to look at human beings. There is some positive aspect to every person, to every act. And in a very extreme way, the judges in the high court had to be able to identify some positive aspect to every case, to even a murderer, even somebody who's deserving of a capital punishment, and maybe will actually receive that punishment if that's the, if that's the majority, that's the opinion of the majority of the court. But nonetheless, this court as a whole must identify, must be able to exercise their good eye and find some positivity, some expression of the core goodness of every defendant, of every human being. And when it comes to Jewish people as well, how we view other Jewish people, unfortunately there are others that they look at the negative aspect. You know, the sinful Jew, the distant Jew, secular Jews, the Rebbe did not like, the Rebbe did not agree with such terms. 
the sin part of when we sin, unfortunately, if it happens, that's not who we are. That's not what defines us. There is the core goodness, the neshama, the soul of every Jew. That is who we are. A Jew is a Jew. A Jew is not a secular Jew. A Jew is a Jew. Every Jew is a Jew. Now, some Jewish people might, person might sin. Okay, that's a terrible thing. But that's not who, that doesn't, that does not identify, that's not the name. That does not, that does not uh, define who the person is. Person is a positive piece, a soul, a neshama. And in that we are all equal. That is what we focus on. That is what we see. When we look at another Jew, we don't see the sins. We don't see the negative, the problems, the bad character traits. What do we see? We see things in the most favorable terms. We give the person some slack. We give, we understand we, where the person is coming from. We look at the positive part of him, of her or her. This is how the Rebbe taught us. And this is what this Torah law teaches us. We must see the positive. If we don't see any positivity in somebody, we are not permitted to judge them. There must be, we must be able to identify positive, positivity in every person. Source 10. <clears throat> Just remember, uh, there was a chassid, maybe we mentioned him once before, a Mendel Futterfass. A Mendel lived through the hard times under the communists in the 30s and the 40s, the 50s even, early 60s. He was uh, always dedicated to teaching ch children, even in the hard times, uh, Torah, underground, keeping up the flame of Jewish life in Soviet uh, Union. I believe he was arrested. Yes, he was arrested by the you know, KGB, the, the communist, and sentenced for the terrible crime of studying Torah with children, putting up schools, making sure mikvahs, women can use the mikvah, and so on and so forth. And he was working one of these uh, working camps, you know, somewhere in some of Siberia. And his job was he was on a on a boat on a, on a some sort of ship doing doing some sort of work and he was standing at the ledge of the of the ship and they had to be really careful they fall off they fall into the ocean dangerous and one time he slipped and he fell in and quickly the, his friends his, uh, his comrades the other prisoners quickly gave him threw him a rope and they were able to to save him help him from from drowning they bring him up and they you know they you, you would think he would be so upset he's soaking wet he almost uh you know it was such a dangerous situation and he has a big smile on his face he's smiling and he's so joyful they say what's wrong with you you know you you, you almost lost your life you 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 fell into the ocean and Remendel says you don't understand it's already so many months here i'm in the camp i didn't have a chance to go to the mikvah even men, Hasidim, have a custom to immerse in a mikvah. And here I fell off and I realized, oh, I have a chance to immerse in the mikvah. I dunked in and I immersed in the mikvah. So yes, it was a serious situation, but he had a smile on his face. He made the best of the situation and he found a positive light. He found something positive about, the, about what happened. A man once came to work in the in the Rebbe's office. Came to fix the in seven seventy Eastern Parkway to fix fix the lights or something to install something. It was a a, a chassid. If 
from a different uh, court, different uh, group of Hasidim, not from Lubavitch, not from Chabad. And while he's working in the Rebbe's room, the Rebbe says, you know, you must have been by your teacher, by your Rebbe. Tell me something that your Rebbe, a question, something, an explanation, a teaching that your Rebbe shared with your community. And the man says, well, take a look in source 10, what the, man, what the man quoted from his Rebbe. There's a verse in Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs, written by King Solomon, part of the Torah, the 24 books of the Torah. Your temples are like a pomegranate split open. This is referring to the Jewish people. Like a pomegranate split open. What does this mean? Says the Talmud. The sinners of Israel, who are filled with good deeds as a pomegranate is full of seeds. Just like on Rosh Hashanah, we have a pomegranate because we want to have as many blessings and mitzvahs as a pomegranate is full of sweet seeds. Says the Talmud, even the sinners of Israel, they're called sinners. But they are filled with good deeds as a pomegranate is full of seeds. So he tells the Rebbe, my Rebbe asked, how does this Talmud make sense? How do we make sense of this passage? If the Talmud is calling them sinners of Israel, that means that they're sinful. How, do, how are they full of good deeds? I mean, if they're, if they're full with good deeds, they're full. So how are they sinners? How are they called sinners? You're defining them as sinners of Israel. The Talmud is calling them sinner, sinners. So how are they full of good deeds? They're, just, they're sinners. Can't be that they're full of good deeds. The Rebbe hearing this became very serious and said, you know, I also learned that verse and I also learned that passage in the Talmud and I also have a question. My question is a bit different. My question is, if the Talmud says that they're full of good deeds, they're full of good deeds. So why is the Talmud calling them sinners? See, there, his Rebbe said, they're sinners. It can't be they're full of good deeds. Says the Rebbe, they're full of good deeds. How can they be sinners? We can look at the same Jew, the same people, and have different, or the same passage in the Talmud and have a different question. Either we're focusing on the full of good deeds, that's what defines them. We're looking at it with a good eye. They're full of good deeds. Oh, I don't know how they're sinners. That's my question. Why are we calling them sinners? They're really full of good deeds. They're good. But somebody which is lacking in this area might say, what do I see here? I see negativity. I see, I'm learning a passage in the Talmud about Jews. Sinners? Oh, they're sinners. If they're sinful, they're sinful. Oh, I'm not, how could they have good deeds? That's my question. What are we focusing on? Hi, Stephen. Wow. Good to see you. Hi, Stan. What are we focusing on? This is the Rebbe's attitude. This is what the Rebbe taught us, how we should view others with positivity, with a positive pair of glasses. That's our look. That's our outlook on people. Not just on people, also on occurrences, on events, on things that happen. We will look at three examples from the Rebbe's letters. The Rebbe had a correspondence going on for many, many years. Till today, here we have on the shelves many books of the Rebbe's letters called Igros Kodesh, Letters of the Rebbe mainly in Hebrew, Yiddish, a lot of them in English and some other languages were translated. The Rebbe's letters to people that would correspond with the Rebbe. And from these letters, personally written by the Rebbe, or dictated by the Rebbe and wrote, written up by his secretaries, by his staff, contain 
an amazing amount of uh, information, guidance, showing us how we should view life. People will turn to the Rebbe with all kinds of issues, and the Rebbe would inspire, guide, and bring certain points to attention. Source 11 is a response to somebody. I, I don't know what the person wrote to the Rebbe, but it seemed like he was, seemed like he was complaining to the Rebbe about the situation. Excuse me, Source 11. You can download the source sheet or we're learning together. There should be a link here. You write, the Rebbe is responding, you write that throughout your life, you have not experienced any good. It seems you do not sense the contradiction in your letter. For a man who God has blessed with a wife and children, to say that he has never seen any good is ungrateful to an alarming degree. Hundreds, even thousands of people pray every day to be blessed with children and would give everything they own to have a single child. This person had an issue. He had something to complain about. But the way he expressed himself in his letter to the Rebbe was that in his whole life, he has never experienced any good. So the Rebbe encourages him. The Rebbe points out that to say that you've never experienced any good, any positivity in your life, that's very alarming. Think about what you have. Let's say he was complaining about one of his children or... Here, the Rebbe is saying, there are hundreds of thousands of people who are waiting every day to get married, to find their bashert, to find their soulmate. There are many people, many couples that are waiting to have a, even a single child. Thank God you were blessed with a wife, with children. Okay, there are difficulties, there are challenges. We need to deal with it. But to say that you have never experienced any good, the Rebbe is telling him, where's your good pair of glasses? Where's your good eye? There's positivity. If somebody has a challenge with a child, they have a child. Some people don't have challenges with their children because they don't have any children. Not because they don't want to, but because they have difficulty. Because it's not in their hands always. It doesn't come easy. So yes, there are challenges. But how do we look at things? What's our perspective? Thank God we have a wife, thank God we had children. Or thank God, whatever issue, whatever we're complaining about, whatever seems to be negative, there's also something positive about that. And we should take note of that as well. Something interesting I found in the Midrash. In Hebrew, how do we say somebody wealthy? Ashir. Ayin Shin Yudresh. Four Hebrew letters. Who is wealthy? Ashir. Somebody who is wealthy is called a Ashir. Ashir is four Hebrew letters. Says the Midrash, every one of these letters stands for something else. You know who's wealthy? Each and every one of us is extremely wealthy. Because we each possess Ayin, Shin, Yudresh. Says, we see in source 12, the Hebrew word for wealthy is Ashir. It is an acronym for Einayim. The Ayin stands for the Hebrew word Einayim, eyes. The shin, shinayim, teeth. Yud, yadayim, hands. And resh, raglayim, feet. If we have ashir, enayim, shinayim, yadayim, raglayim, we have eyes, 
teeth, hands, and feet, we are wealthy. We may have a toothache, but we have teeth. We may have to wear glasses, but we have eyes. We have hands and feet. Some people, unfortunately, are missing those. We have to be grateful for what we have and focus on the positive aspect. Tune in to recognize there's something positive in every situation. Another letter from the Rebbe in source 13. So a woman was marrying off her granddaughter, or sorry, her daughter. <coughs> sorry. Marrying off her daughter, and shortly before the wedding, her mother, meaning the grandmother of the bride, passed away. And the wedding was celebrated, but <clears throat> the mother of the bride was quite sad, understandably. And she was upset and thought to herself, why did God have to make it that her mother, the bride's grandmother, cannot be present at the wedding? And, you know, such a sad, a sad moment, sad time. Here we're celebrating a wedding. Here we're celebrating a passing. And she wrote to the Rebbe. She expressed her thoughts to the Rebbe. And here is word for word what the Rebbe responded for her, to her. Source 13. While it is natural to think that the wedding is ruined because of the recent loss, and to feel especially sad that the grandmother won't be physically present at the wedding, we should look at it differently. You know, we cannot change the situation. Once the grandmother has passed, that's it. Until Mashiach comes, we can revive the dead. But until that happens, this is the situation. The doctors have not yet come up with a way to revive the dead. Once they're dead, they're dead. And we can, well, well, that's not in our control. What is in our control is what kind of glasses do we wear? How do we look at the situation? Now, I don't think the Rebbe is saying that we shouldn't, they shouldn't sit shiva and be sad. That is part of the way of life, and that's the natural way of life. We should, there is seven days of shiva and then 30 days and a year to mourn, and a, and a certain way that a person mourns forever, their parents, God forbid, if they passed on. But nonetheless, there is looking at things in the most favorable terms with a positive spin, with a positive outlook as much as possible. And that is in our control. It is in our control, the attitude, the perspective. We can't change the things, but if, the cha way, if we change the way we look at things and the things we look at will change. Possibly. Or not possibly, but it can change somewhat. And here the Rebbe draws her attention, continuing on in Source 13. Death is tragic, and we need a boost to overcome the loss. The Rebbe says, it will be beneficial for you to look at it this way. Meaning, you can look at it in a negative way, okay, something's going to change. But you can look at it with a positive look, and find a positive spark in this situation. Just as every person just as every person at his core is good, and we learned that there must be an expression of that goodness, a reason to, fi to find the merit in every act, everything that happens has a spark of goodness. It comes from God who is good. There must be something good, something positive about every situation. Not to say that 
everything is good. There are sad things and, and painful and terrible things that happen. But there must be an expression, a good outlook, a good aspect of everything. Death is tragic and we need a boost to overcome this loss. His mother passed away. God orchestrated the wedding to be in proximity to your mother's passing to make it easier for you to cope with the loss. Seeing the growth of your family and the perpetuation of your mother's legacy. People don't live forever. Since the beginning of time, even Adam and Eve, they lived long lives back then, but they didn't live forever. They're not around. You're not going to find Adam anywhere. He is buried in Hebron, in Israel, as well as all of the great people that live. People don't live forever. The mother was going to pass away. Here's a healthy way. Here's a positive way the Rebbe tells her to look at it. Death is very tragic. And when someone passes away, it's very difficult to continue on and get back into life. You need a boost to overcome a loss. God orchestrated that the timing of the passing should be a means to comfort, to give the daughter, mother of the bride, a boost to overcome the loss. Because by seeing Shortly after the passing, seeing the entire family gathering, she had a large family, they lived in different places in the world, and they all came together to celebrate the wedding. She saw her children together, and she already had grandchildren herself. Seeing the entire family together, seeing the continuation, the growth of the family, and the perpetuation of the mother's legacy, how they're continuing to go in her footsteps and lighting Shabbos candles and going to Jewish schools and living the way she would want them, she wanted them to live, that was a source of comfort to her. And if she would have passed away after the wedding, she wouldn't necessarily see in front of her eyes her whole family together and see the source of comfort in a very tangible way. So by God orchestrating that shortly after the passing, when she was feeling at loss, she was feeling down, to have the wedding and see everyone together, see all of her mother's grand, uh, uh, ch children and grandchildren, grandchildren and great-grandchildren together, that was a source of comfort to the daughter, saying, hey, Yes, my mother lived a full and accomplishing, accomplished life. She left here so many family members going in her ways. This was a source of comfort to her. So the Rebbe turned it around. Instead of the time of the passing, that it was right before the wedding, being a negative idea, being a source of negativity, why did she have to die right now before the wedding? Why did God have to ruin everything? The Rebbe turned it around and saying, yes, it is painful. There is a painful, negative aspect to it, but there's also a positive way of looking at it. <clears throat> God orchestrated the time of the wedding not to be a source of discomfort, not to be a source of sadness, but to be a source of comfort to you, to help you get through this time of loss and, 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 <clears throat> and sadness by seeing, by comforting you. So the wedding, the Rebbe turned it around. You know, in, in Hebrew, how do you say, somebody maybe can respond here in the comments, how do you say, um, something terrible, something bad happens to you. You say tsaris. Tsatsara, tsaris. We're in pain, something bad happened. Oyvei, tsaris. The word in Hebrew is tsara. Actually, it comes from similar to the word mitzrayim. Mitzrayim has a tzaddik and a resh. Tsara, mitzrayim. Because Egypt was a narrow place, a place of anxiety, a place of enslavement, a place of suffering. Tsara means suffering, negativity, problems. Three Hebrew letters make up this word. Tzadik, Reish, Hei, Tsara. 
But if you just change around the order, instead of tzaddik resh hey, you take the hey and you put it in the middle, and it's tzaddik hey resh, it spells the word tzohar. Tzohar means a window. A window. You can look at something as a tzara, something terrible, or it can be a window, a source of light, a source of comfort. Yes, it was a tzara. It seemed to this woman, it was such a terrible thing that she passed away right before the wedding. And the Rebbe drawed her attention and said, wait a second, you can look at it with a positive light. You can look at it as a window, a source of light, a source of comfort. That the reason by, by her passing away right before the wedding, the wedding was a source of comfort to you because you saw everybody together. Pretty amazing. Another example is the word nega. Nega means a affliction, a, um, a blister, a uh, cut, you know, nega. Nun Gimel Ayin. Three Hebrew letters. But, if you change the order around, instead of the Ayin being, being at the end of the word, you take the Ayin and put it at the beginning of the word, it spells Oneg, delight. Like Oneg Shabbos. Some refer to Friday night meals in synagogue as Oneg Shabbos. The delight of Shabbos. So it can be Nega, it can be an affliction, it can be painful, something negative, or... We can find the hidden spark, the hidden goodness, and it can be also something owning, something delightful. It's all up to us. In 1977, uh, during the Hakafas, during the Simchas Torah celebration in 770, the Rebbe suffered a heart attack. And the Rebbe was in grave situation. Miraculously, the Rebbe recovered, and after a couple of weeks, the Rebbe was able to go home. But after the Rebbe was recovered, the Rebbe was recovering in his room, which was uh, transformed into a hospital. So the doctors were warning the Rebbe that he has to be careful. He can't have such long hours, and he can't work so hard. You know, it, it, they told him that if you continue living your life, conducting your life, your schedule the way it is, there is a 25% chance that you're going to have a relapse. So the doctor tells the Rebbe, do you, do you understand what I told you? Like, do you hear? Do you, do you understand what I said? That if you continue doing what you're doing, the way you're living life, and the, you know, the Rebbe had busy hours, barely sleeping at night. Did you hear what I told you? The Rebbe says, yes, I heard that you said that if I continue doing what I'm doing, there's a 20, there's a 75% chance that I won't have a relapse. The doctor said there's a 25% chance. The negative part, there's a 25% chance that you're going to have a relapse. The Rebbe said, I heard that there's a 75% chance that I won't have a relapse. The Rebbe heard the positive aspect. Although the Rebbe did change certain things in uh, his schedule, but the Rebbe focused on the positivity. The Rebbe focused on looking at things in a positive light. Let's look at one more example in source 14. So a man writes to the Rebbe, Hi Erica. The man writes to the Rebbe, he hosted a celebration for the completion of a Torah scroll. Oh, almost finished there. Somebody uh, donated a Torah scroll and he hosted in his home, he had a large home, big home, he hosted in his home the party, the celebration, the meal for the Torah scroll dedication. And at this celebration, there was a young woman there who, in the middle of the celebration, felt not well. And 
as they figured out later, she had an aneurysm, and after a couple of moments, she passed away, right there in the middle of the celebration. The man, the host, was very distraught. Here, he was doing a mitzvah, he opened his home to host the Torah celebration, a host of dedication, and he felt sort of part of this tragedy, you know, it was sort of his fault. The woman was came to celebrate, and and he had some sort of part in this whole terrible thing. How could such a bad thing come out of a mitzvah? He had a very negative outlook on the story. Source 14, the Rebbe writes to him. This is word for word what the Rebbe told him. I translated from Hebrew, actually. May I suggest the following? The Rebbe suggests. Maybe we can look at it. You know what happened? Again, the woman has passed on. But how can we look at this in a positive light? May I suggest the following? Were the deceased not invited to the Torah celebration, she would have suffered her fatal attack in a very different setting, perhaps on the street or in the presence of strangers. She would have been deprived of the comforting presence of a physician who was also a dear friend of hers and shared her religious values. It is possible that one of the true reasons why God inspired so-and-so to donate the Torah was to allow for the tranquil ascent of this young woman's soul, and that it should occur in a Jewish home, a home that displays and is protected by a mezuzah. Here the Rebbe draws his attention to something positive in the story. The woman may have died either way. That we can't change. But we can look at it in a positive light, and looking at the, the positive aspects of the story, it's possible that the reason why this man, whoever it was, donated a Torah scroll and you hosted it was in order to orchestrate that the last moments of this young woman's life should be in a setting where she is comfortable, where there's spiritual energy, there's a mezuzah, she is near a physician because she was invited, because it was a Torah celebration, so she was there, not on the street somewhere, not by herself. She was able to be comforted in the last moments of her life. So you had a hand in this. You, by hosting this, were able to give this young woman, in the last moments of her life, a spiritual uplifting, a spiritual environment for her to pass away, which may have not happened if you did not host this Torah celebration. Yes, it's a very sad situation. But we have the ability to tap into that positive spark, that positive aspect of the situation. And the Rebbe, this is just, these are just a couple of examples. But we should take this to all areas of life. One might think that the Rebbe had everything good in life. So here's a quote from the Rebbe referring to his father-in-law. The above, source 15, the above are the views of a man who has seen affliction, who underwent unspeakable suffering both before and after arriving on the welcoming shores of America. The previous Rebbe the Rebbe referred to his teacher, his father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, somebody who suffered under the Soviets, was arrested by the Soviets for spreading Judaism, lived through the horrors of the Holocaust being trapped in Warsaw, Poland, during the Blitzkrieg in 1939 for a couple of months, finally coming here to America. The previous Rebbe suffered uh, from different ailments. And the Rebbe, you can say as well, the Rebbe, the Rebbe's own brother was killed by the Nazis the Rebbe had a second young brother that died very young. 
in the early 1950s. The Rebbe's father, the Rebbe was separated from his mother for 17 years. The Rebbe left Russia. His parents were stuck there, unable to leave. Only saw his mother 17 years later. His father he never saw again after being separated from him for the last 15 years of the Rebbe's father's life. The Rebbe didn't see him. There was no Zoom. There was no Facebook Live. There's no way to connect. Even letters was very hard, hard to, to send. The letters were censored. The Rebbe's wife, the Rebbe's in Chaim Rushka, the Rebbe's sister-in-law and brother-in-law were killed in Treblinka by the Nazis. The Rebbe did not have any children, biological children. The Rebbe had many opponents. The Rebbe would come out with this campaign, that campaign, everything we're learning today. There are other groups, unfortunately, that at the time it was something new to them. Thank God, by now, many years later, a lot of them adopted this kind of view. But many of the campaigns and the ideas that, and ideals that the Rebbe promoted, there were strong opponents to it, even within the Jewish camp. And yet, the Rebbe had a positive outlook on every person, on every situation. And the same thing we can say in our situation. Yes, it is a sad time. There are people dying. There are people sick. There are people suffering. There are people lonely. There are people alone. Not lonely. Hashem is always with them. But we are trained. We are taught. We are given the tools, the ability to also tap into the positive spark, the positive aspects, excuse me, of this current situation. We may be celebrating Pesach with our, ourselves, with our immediate family, but there's also something positive, and that we have to look to identify, find the positivity. There are so many people that are dedicated now to helping other people. Think of the nurses, think of the doctors, think of people helping each other, reaching out to others, I was surprised. Even some people called me I, just to check up on me. It was very touching. People are thinking about each other. People are trying to help each other. We can take the time now to focus on our spirit, spirituality more, our growing, our, growing more, growing our relationships, enhancing our relationships with our children, with our spouse, with our parents, through phone, through Zoom, in a healthy and safe way. We can find the positivity we can find, identify the positivity in every situation. doesn't mean that we have to, you don't have to keep on praying for the health of everybody and that the situation should improve in all ways and there should only be positivity, but we can also put on a positive pair of glasses. Two salesmen, two shoe salesmen of a shoe company were sent to Africa to sell, to start up the market of sell, you know, selling shoes there. <clears throat> They got off the plane. The next day, one salesman, one shoe salesman, emails back to his boss. He says, I'm getting on the next flight back home to California. Nobody here wears shoes. In Africa, everybody goes barefoot. There's no market for shoes. I'm coming back home. The other salesman sends an email to the factory. He says, get the factory running. The prospects are unlimited. Nobody here wears shoes. There's... Amazing business. Business is going to be booming here. So every situation we can look at in two ways. We can look at it with a positive look, with an optimistic lens, or a negative look. Let's choose to go into every situation with positivity. Let's make our glasses 
our eyes, a good eye. It's not so easy in every situation. Let's train ourselves. Let's attain the skills of identifying the expression of goodness in every person, in every situation, in every event. To focus in on that, we'll be happier people and we will spread happiness and positivity around us. Wishing everybody a positive and uplifting Passover holiday tomorrow night at 7.10 is candle lighting. The Seder should begin, the mitzvahs of the Seder should begin after 7.57 p.m. A second Seder should be done on Thursday evening after 8.10 p.m. by lighting candles from an existing flame. And... We'll tune back next week, which is during the Pesach holiday, but it's called Chol HaMoed. We're able to use phones and electricity. Well, there are some limitations, but we're still able to continue learning. We'll continue on, continue on the Lunch and Learn. Thank you, everybody, for joining. And have a wonderful rest of your day and a happy and kosher Pesach holiday.